0: Greetings there, everyone, and welcome to The Roundup, episode 4, recorded for release on Friday, March 4th, 2018. This is Two Wise Guys' Show, looking back on the week's news that you may have missed. I'm your host, Dan, and our first story this week examines the relationship between technology and political correctness. Um, The anti defamation League, they have a a group called the Center for Technology and Society, and they're working in association with the University of California at Berkeley's D-Lab, to create what they're calling an online hate index. Uh, The ADL cites a study from the Pew Research Agency uh, which claims that 41% of American adults have experienced online harassment and 66% have witnessed it. And they're hoping through this study um, to be able to identify and analyze such elements as speaker's intent, the context, identity, tone, audience, and things like that. Um, the purpose of the partnership is to, quote, transform human understanding of hate speech via machine learning into a scalable tool uh, that can be deployed on internet on internet content to discover the scope and spread of online hate speech. Uh, they continue that they're going to use it to uh, use a, con- a constantly evolving process of machine learning based on what they they describe as uh, a protocol developed by a team of human coders as to what does and does not constitute hate speech, in order to uncover and identify trends and patterns in hate speech across online platforms, um, things like Facebook, Twitter, and other communities. Reddit, I'm sure, is on there too. Um, And the goal of it is to allow the ADL to push for changes necessary to ensure that online communities are safe and inclusive spaces. That's a direct quote from their article as well. Um, They go on to give examples of Reddit, which I just mentioned, um, having people on there with the goal of spreading racism, misogyny, antisemitism, homophobia, and, quote, all other forms of hate. Um, now they bring up Reddit in particular. I'm not sure how many of you have used Reddit. I've never actually experienced too much of that kind of stuff on Reddit um, in the past, but usually if I'm on there, uh, the only things that I'm really engaging with are um, like user groups and stuff like that. So it's it's not really that kind of environment, um, but I'm sure that stuff is definitely out there. And, you know, I grew up on the internet. I think it's a wonderful place. I think it's an amazing invention, um, but it can also be really a terrible place to be. Um, I mean, Anyone who's been online for any length of time, anyone who's gone to YouTube and read the comments section, sees the vile things that people say. Um, I actually just saw something like this not long ago, um, just a few days ago, with a YouTuber name that goes by NixiePixel. Uh, she's a girl who she does uh, videos on uh, Linux and open source software and online privacy and stuff like that. Um, it's nothing too technically in-depth, but it's, she's got some good opinions on things, and uh, she just tries to make videos to help people out, which I can appreciate um but reading the comment sections on some of her videos i am frankly appalled um you know i've never really experienced anything like that or seen it from the open source community from the linux community um it's one of those things where i see it and i'm just like really guys that's not who we are as a community you know and so it's just it's a shame to see those things and you know you can say something back but really what's the goal? What's the the purpose of doing that if it's just a bunch of trolls who are out there trying to mess with people? Um, sometimes it's best just not to engage with them at all, but um, you know, some of the stuff that was on her site or on her uh, videos in the comment sections um, were clearly sexist remarks, um, you know, treating like she was stupid because she's a female and unable to to really do any kind of good for the open source community, which is not the case at all. There's a lot of really good female coders out there. There's a lot of girls who know a lot more about Linux than I do. Um, there's a lot of women who know more about Macs and, and PCs than I do. So, I mean, I, there's no reason to to think that just because someone is a man or a woman that they're any better or worse than somebody else just because of their gender. Um, but, you know, with that said, too, the uh, my kids... For instance, they're really interested in the recording aspect of these kind of things. So they think it's really cool that their uncle and I work together and they we put on these shows once a week. Um, the, the Two Wise Guys broadcast. Um, I have my own podcast, which is the Ancient Abandoned website uh, with its own podcast. And so they, they're around me recording and, and producing content and stuff like that. And they really want to do something like that as well. And right now they're really into Pokemon and Ninjago, which is a like a Lego ninja thing, if you're not aware of what that is. Um And they really want to record something on that just because i think it would be fun and a chance for them to kind of get their feet wet and in content creation which i'm i'm all about you know helping them with um and while i'm excited to help them have fun with it i would never let it be uploaded to a site like youtube with comments enabled and even if i did you know allow comments or comments to be enabled i would definitely keep it as unlisted so that it wouldn't be available to the open public because you know, as sad as it is, I have no doubt that someone would probably think it was funny to bully a couple of little boys who, you know, just want to create content that they're passionate about, which is really pathetic and is really sad. Um, That being said, I I agree that moderating online communities is important. You know, that's why we've always had moderators on message boards and chat rooms and things like that, even going back to the old America online days, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, we do that here at Two Wise Guys as well. You know, we we invite feedback and conversation from our viewers and our listeners, but we do expect it to be, you know, civil conversation and a level of respect for one another, even if we disagree with each other's opinions, you know. Um, And frankly, people who can't meet those standards in their conversation and their engagement with us, they get booted out. They're not welcome to be part of the conversation. They can go home, grow up, and come back later, Um, but... You know, there's nothing wrong with self-moderation. I think that self-moderation is very good. I think that's it's necessary. Um, but my primary concern with this idea of an online hate index is that is, is what the article said. There was a line in it that said that it was being developed by um, by a team of people, by a team of human coders, if it, as it were. Um, and many people, especially in places like UC Berkeley, for example, or... Uh, um, the ADL, for, and as another example, I mean, they're activist groups. They're, you know, there's a lot of activist groups at UC Berkeley, but the ADL is an activist group. University of California Berkeley is well known for being an extremely liberal and progressive school. And it, w- it doesn't necessarily matter that it's Berkeley, it could be any university, it could be any group. Um, they have agendas. Conservative groups have agendas, libertarian groups have agendas, anarchist groups have agendas, communist groups have agendas. Everyone has an agenda that they bring to the table. So my concern mostly is that this online hate index is being created by individuals with a particular ideology and a particular agenda, um, which are going to then, as they admitted in, or stated in their uh, their their plan here, is to is to be able to push for change. Which you know yeah, if people are spouting off anti-Semitic comments like Louis Farrakhan, or they're saying other things that are you know vile and nasty. You know, I feel like there should be self-moderation. That's when people can, you know, kind of speak up for themselves and and speak up for others. Um, And moderators can come in and look at that and examine it. But my concern is more of utilizing things like AI and machine learning to to categorize those things for us. Now, I understand for platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit where it's such a big community that you have to have something like that in place. Um, But, you know, my hope for this thing is that the coders or or the people pulling the strings behind the scenes are reasonable and not trying to just simply shape our culture to fit their political agenda. But I also hope that the code is open source so that people and researchers can come in and look at it to see what's behind the scenes. And I really hope that if it's picked up by these big social media platforms, that they don't simply trust the code, but that they actually, you know, that they'll execute the practice of believe but verify, if that makes sense. So, like, if it comes out and says, this is hate speech, these whole things are all hate speech, that they'd actually have staff on hand to go through and examine those things and to say, okay, this is miscategorized, well, this is very subjective, it's not necessarily hate speech, it's just an opinion, or, you know, it could have been confused that way. Um, but, you know, that all comes back to these are private companies, these are private organizations. Um, you know, Facebook is a it's a publicly traded private company, it's not a government institution, so your your right to say what you want is there, but you're also subject to the terms and agreements that you signed on for when you signed up for the service. So, um, anyway, I I think that's just I think it's an interesting concept to try and do something like that. I have my reservations and my concerns, but overall, I think that it could be a very good thing, a very beneficial thing uh, for the internet and for online communities at large. Because, like I said, you know, my kids want to want to be able to go online and and do these things and granted they're young enough to where I'm not letting them just go and have free reign on the internet. You know, if they're going to be online, I'm going to be monitoring what they're doing, but there's a lot of things online that I don't want them to read and they don't, they shouldn't have to, you know, they're little kids. They should be able to enjoy being children without, you know, somebody swearing at them or speaking negatively about the things that they're enjoying and having fun doing. You know, they shouldn't be getting bullied uh, you know, just because they're into something, if that makes sense. Um, but we're going to, let's move on to the next story, which comes from uh, a Rasmussen study that was recently done. Um, it was done in the wake of the Parkland shootings, which we talked about in episode 14 of the Two Wise Guys show. So you guys can go check that out. Um, it's at also at twowiseguys.org slash TWG14, I think it is. Um, so you can just type that in your URL and it'll take you right to the page as well. Um, but we talked a lot about the Parkland shooting, and uh, uh, when we talked about it, the conversation, it was good overall, but I think it kind of focused a lot more on on gun control and things like that, which wasn't necessarily the point of it at the time, but it just kind of was where the conversation went to. Um, but this was done shortly, I think it was about a week or two after the shooting happened. Uh, it's, I find it fascinating, it's interesting, uh, the results of this study. So we're going to just kind of like look through it a little bit and maybe talk a little bit about the, the results that were found here. Um, so according to a recent Rasmussen survey of 1,000 Americans, 54% of the respondents blamed government failure to act on the red flags that were out there, whereas 33% uh, blame a lack of gun control measures, and 11% blame something else. Now, of those respondents, there, um, the the ones who were parents of of elementary school age children were kind of separated from the group in there, and they found that among those parents, 61% blame government failure, 16% blame something else, blame something else, and 33% dropped or sorry, 23%, which is a 10% drop from the the overall. Uh, group blame a lack of gun control measures, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if it's that people who tend to be more progressive and probably more younger who are advocating for more gun control measures, maybe it's that they don't have small children, um, or what, I kind of wonder what what would make the difference there. Um, I I think it'd be really cool to get some more information on that. Um, When asked what they thought could best address the problem, that we can see the split that it's kind of dividing the country as it is. Um, which, you know, according to the study up up top, it's not really as divided as maybe we thought. But, you know, when it comes to the, the best practice to, to best control the problem or best address the problem, 41% said that they thought that more gun control legislation would be the most beneficial route to take, whereas 40% would take uh, said that addressing mental health problems is the best way to go. So there's kind of obviously a divide there among among the people who responded about what the best course of action would be moving forward to help address these situations. Um, but, you know, when you look at these numbers, the thing that immediately jumps out to me is, it jumped out to me, like, how does this compare to the media coverage that's out there right now? Are they truly giving the news? Are they truly relaying the information? Or are they using their outlet to try and shape the political narrative? Um I would lean towards this, the, the latter of those two, that they're using their their major media platforms to try and push an agenda, to try and push their own political narrative that they want to to shape the conversation with. Um, because clearly when you look at this, that over half of the uh, the people who were surveyed blame a failure of government to act, and only a third blame the... Uh, the The guns they blame the, the gun control measures, and when you when you look at that in terms of parents with small children, that it jump, it drops significantly from thirty three percent to twenty three percent. That's a big jump. That's a big difference. Um, but in addition to those numbers, fifteen percent of respondents said that they believe stricter gun control laws and increased gun control would actually lead to an increase in violent crime. And uh, those who said that they thought it would decrease violent crime and those who said they thought it would not make a difference were tied at 39% each on those. Um, So obviously those who think that that gun control and gun laws and stuff would actually lead to more violence is the minority in this instance, Um, but there's that split again uh, between the population. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, this, in my humble opinion, really highlights... The growing mistrust that the people have of the U.S. government as a result of decades of corruption by politicians who are heavily invested in special interests because they're getting their pockets lined by these groups. They're getting tons of money in in this thing. And this is why I've been saying for you know at least a few years now, and a lot of people have been saying the same things as well, we need to work to get the money out of politics. And it goes for both sides. I mean, like a lot of people like to point the fingers at like the Koch brothers on the conservative side, but you got groups like the AFL CIO, you got groups like um, Open Society and George Soros's organizations that are all working together on the on the the left. And we have this problem where we have these massive lobbying groups who are pouring millions and millions and millions of dollars. There's no reason why somebody should be able to come in. Making the wages of like a school teacher, for instance, who gets elected to Congress, and they come in and they leave eight years later or six years later as a millionaire. That that's something's something's amiss some there, and so um, that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Um, but don't get me wrong, I'm a capitalist and I believe in free markets and enterprise. But the problems that I see with this is that they really start to pick up when you mix government with big business. And I want to trust my government, I really, really do. I know when you listen to the show, you probably get the vibe that I just don't trust the government, and I, I don't. But I do want to. I want to believe the best for my government. Um, but that leads to another interesting point, that according to the survey, only 26% of likely voters said that they actually trust their government to do the right thing most of the time, which the inference there is that 74% don't feel that way. They don't feel like the government's going to do the right thing most of the time, or... And that's not even all the time. That's just most of the time. Um, so it, I think this study, it touches on the gun stuff, obviously, but it really, I think it highlights more the state of the American population as far as it, it stands with relation to trusting their government, trusting their government to to do the right thing, to enforce the laws fairly. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's something worth looking at. I'll have a link in the show notes to all of these articles, but this one in particular will be in there as well. Um, I, I wish I could have gotten some demographic information for you, but Rasmussen makes you pay for all that, and I don't have a subscription to it. So uh, if you guys want more in-depth coverage, you can go over to, to Patreon and subscribe there and, and support us that way. And some of that money will definitely go towards the subscription, but um, I'm not going to put money into that at the moment because I just don't have the money to spend on it. But, um, you know, if you want to... Also consider the idea of video games and movies, which was touched on a little bit in this write-up. I know a lot of people don't really like to talk about it because they feel like it's... I guess they feel like maybe it's been disproven. And some studies have shown that that there's no correlation between violent movies and violent video games and violent crime, and others have. So, I mean, there's evidence on both sides to support it. Um, According to this survey, only 13% said that they think that limiting access or production of violent video games and violent movies, um, would do the most to help this, this violent, gun violence situation. Which, you know, in other words, 87% disagree with that idea. So the vast majority of people seem to disagree with the idea that violent movies and violent video games are the, the leading cause of these uh, you know, these acts of violence. And I kind of talked about this a little bit in the last episode I did, I released of the Ancient Abandon podcast. If anyone wants to check it out, I'll have a link in the show notes to my site as well, um, where you'll be able to find that on there. But as far as um, you know, as far as these issues go and these questions go, like I said, there there's evidence on both sides to support the argument for and against the. Uh, the correlation between violent video games, violent movies, and gun violence, or violence in general. Um, and my, my take on it is more, um, I guess I should say, let me just quote. So there's a, a verse in the Bible, it's from the Apostle Paul, where he says, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. And that's kind of my take on this, is, you know, I can go and play a violent game, I can go watch a violent movie, And there's nothing wrong with me doing that. I'm a grown adult, I can do what I want to do, but it doesn't mean it's good for me. And, you know, some people obviously feel like they have no problem with it, but I know for me, myself, um, I had to stop playing violent video games and stop watching, like, I I don't really even watch rated R movies anymore, it's not that I have a moral uh, objection to movies that are rated R, it's just I don't really need, I don't really see the point in watching a movie. That's telling a story that needs to use tons of profanity, um, you know, gratuitous nudity, uh, excess violence. You know, it's like if it's going to progress the story and actually tell the story, um, that's one thing. But it's not, you know, it's not really the same if that makes sense. Um, but you know, I remember playing Grand Theft Auto when I was younger. I, I it was uh, three, and Vice City are the ones that I played most of. And I just had this realization one day that, you know, while I'm not doing these things in real life when you go on a rampage in this game, and you go around just causing as much havoc and destruction and killing people and blowing stuff up, that that's stuff that's coming from your mind, that's coming from your heart. And if that's something that I'm even thinking to do, I'm I'm experiencing, I'm sharing in the experience of it. Now, I know some people are going to disagree with that, and that's fine. If you disagree, um, you know, send us a message or leave a comment or something like that. I'd love to hear from you. But um, again, I'm not going to argue the science behind it. I'm not going to argue you know, anyone else's need to to avoid these things or not. If you feel compelled to, great. If not, that's cool, too. This is where I fall on it. Um, but uh, I just think it's, it's an interesting thing to consider. I think it's something that we should definitely consider um, because the things we do do things to us. But um, the next story, moving on, um, back on February 6th, uh, SpaceX, which is Elon Musk's company, that's you know working on on establishing itself in in this new space race. Jeff Bezos has his other uh, organization, which I can't remember the name of right now. Uh, you know they're kind of in this commercial space race right now to to launch rockets, launch satellites into space, and stuff like that. Um, but back on February six, SpaceX launched their Falcon Heavy rocket into space for the first time, and when they did that, it was um, they were needing the test to be accurate for like launching satellites and stuff like that, so it needed to be weighted down. And in order to do that, what he did or what SpaceX did was they took one of Elon Musk's or Elon Musk's uh, Tesla Roadster cars that he had, and they equipped it with a spacesuit dummy known as Spaceman, and they put a live stream camera on it, and they launched it into space. It was pretty cool. So you can actually find videos on YouTube of it of the uh, of the car, the live stream from the car before the camera went dead. Um, and it was really cool like you'd see it was orbiting the earth it was going into this like really long orbit from you know how far out it was and um so you see like just this this tesla roadster this convertible red car with the spaceman in it and it's drifting past the earth it was really really cool to see um but the camera ran out of battery like i said so it's no longer transmitting um but there is a website where you can kind of keep track of where the Roadster is out there, where Spaceman is. So if you go to uh, com, I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well, Um, you can kind of track and see where it's going. And I think it's kind of a cool concept. Um, Just a little fun little thing that's out there if you guys are interested in that. Um, uh, June 10th is going to be the first close encounter uh, with Mars. So that thing must be hauling if it's out in space. like They just launched it last month, and already in in June it's going to be passing by Mars um, which, so I don't know how they got that thing going that fast, but it's in an elliptical orbit, so it'll be coming back around, and so it'll actually do another pass by Mars, which is even closer, on October 7th of 2020, um, but I I invite you guys to go check it out and see if there's anything on there that you might be interested in, um, if you like space, this is always a cool thing to kind of talk about, um, I've always, I've been into space since I was a little kid, my grandpa took me to, uh, Kennedy Space Center when we, when I grew up in Florida, and so, um, Really, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Uh, the final story for the week <coughs> excuse me, is about a Kickstarter. So in keeping with the tradition of closing up the roundup with some sort of a more lighthearted gaming or tech news, um, I found this story about a Kickstarter that has blown past its $20,000 goal. Um, so at the time of recording this, they've got six days left to go, and it's a group called Pink, uh, Pico Interactive, and they have a Kickstarter going... Um, Originally, it was to try and raise $20,000, and they've raised $119,147 in order to port the PlayStation 1 game 40 Winks to the Nintendo 64. So, um, if you're interested in it, if you want to pledge $40 or more, you can receive a cartridge of the game. If you want a full box copy of it with the manual and everything, it's going to set you back $55 or more. Um, But 40 Winks was originally released in 1998 on the PlayStation 1, Um, I never played it, but I've heard various things about it, but I don't really know a whole lot. So if you want more information, go look it up. Um, You can also leave stuff in the comments if you want to share the information, which would be kind of cool too. Um, But it was supposed to be released, I think, in 99 for the N64, but it never was um, for whatever reason. So kind of the summary of this is that a 20-year-old platforming game is going to receive nearly $120,000 to produce and sell cartridges on a 22-year-old system in 2018, so... I think it's strange, I think it's odd that they're doing it. I think it's cool, you know, if you're one of those people who... um... you know, who's interested in that kind of thing, as it might be up your alley. Um, I recently found 40 40 Winks for the PlayStation, the disc version, um, at my local game store, we have a retro gaming shop here in town, and they're selling it for $4, and you can get the PlayStation 1 console for $30, so... I mean, I don't see why you'd pay, want to pay that much unless you just really, really wanted to have the, um... <clears throat> unless you just really, really wanted to have a Nintendo 64 cartridge of this game that I that I know very little about anyways, but... If you're a collector or someone who has always wanted to you know, be able to play an old PS1 game on the Nintendo 64, here's your chance. So I'll have a link in the show notes if you're interested and you can go support it if it's something you want to do. And, uh, if you do, let me know. I'd be interested to hear how the game turns out. Um... But that's all for this week's episode of The Roundup. If you want more information or details about anything discussed here, uh, you can be sure to check out the show notes at twowiseguys.org slash RU4, that's RU for Roundup for. Uh, if you are listening to this on a podcast player like Apple Podcast or Pocket Cast or something like that, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a few seconds to help us out, we'd really love it if you could leave a, a rating and review. Uh, we'd love a five-star rating if you'd like, but be honest and constructive criticism is always welcome here. Um, and if you want to show, uh, if you want to help the show by, uh, you know, becoming a pa- uh, paid subscriber or Patreon, not a paid subscriber, but, you know, going to Patreon at patreon.com slash guys uh, you can sign up to be a monthly subscriber for as little as one month, or $1 per month, rather. Sorry, I'm getting a little tired here. Uh, and there are a number of award tiers there as well, so you can kind of take a look at what what might be most comfortable for you, what you might be interested in the most. Um, But thanks again for listening. Be sure to tune in live this Saturday, March 10th at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, and be part of the conversation as Chris and I discuss electric vehicles, carbon footprints, and digital privacy. But Until then, I've been Dan. I'll see you all next week. Hey guys, one last thing I forgot to mention during the show. Uh, if you like the music that you listen to this time, i uh, doing a little bit different. This one is not Ronald Jenkins, which is what we normally use on our on our episodes. Uh, this is actually a band I recently discovered called Arcade High, and I believe the genre is known as synthwave, so it's kind of like that old-school 80s feel to it, um, which I really enjoy. So if you like it, um, I'll have a link in the show notes to their SoundCloud site as well as their uh, Bandcamp site where you can buy their music. It's also available on uh itunes and you can probably find it elsewhere i'm sure i haven't really looked though uh, but they're really cool guys uh, really good music uh, they're letting us use the music so i really appreciate it just want to give them a shout out and go support them they're really good stuff take care guys